everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. So good to be back. Um, there were some bets going on how long it would take me to cry today. So, um, yeah, my, well, Mom, we knew you would beat me. It's, it's all right. Uh, I couldn't make it like through like the first two minutes of worship last week. I was like, oh, they're coming. <laughs> um, but, um, I think I might have a little bit more uh, margin this this week, but they'll, they'll probably come. But I just want to say uh, for, for our church family, thank you guys so much. I love you. Um, for those of you who don't know, you're here for the first time, you're like, man, they, they really like their pastor. This is, <laughs> this is cool, you know? Uh, you know, um, my wife and I, for the last three months, we, we're just transitioning back from a three-month sabbatical. And and it's just really been an incredible time where God's been just working in our hearts, working in our marriage, working in our family. Um, and I, I'm just so absolutely grateful um, to the work that God has done, but so grateful for each and every one of you who have been, who have taken ownership of what God's doing here at City of Lights. We've said it time and time again that the church is the family of God. And I just want to thank you for actually being family, for doing what family does in tough times and stepping up and owning it and taking responsibility and serving and, and loving us and loving Jesus and loving others so beautifully. And so, um, you know, God is continuing to do a work in us, but this season has been such an accelerated opportunity for us and uh, we, we would not have been able to do it and see God do what he's doing, not only in us, but in the church, had it not been for him working through and in so many of you. And so we're just so grateful. So just, just give yourselves a hand for a second. Just give this team a hand. Um, So I, I was thinking this morning since um, there's probably, I know there's some of you that I've never seen before because you've come over the last three months. Good to see you. Hope you stay now that I'm back. You know, you're like, Man, I love this church, but this guy came back. Um, I don't know about him in his head. Um, it's, anyway, um, so I thought maybe I should like reintroduce myself. So allow me to reintroduce. I'm not going to rap, I promise. I'll leave that to Gray and some others uh, in the room, my wife. But I do want to show you a picture of my family just so you guys can get to know us a little bit. So here's my squad. We roll deep. Uh, so, of course, uh, there's my beautiful wife there, Kelly, who just stood up, just amazing over here. Uh, on the far end over there is our eldest son, Isaiah David Christopher Owens. Uh, right now, he's Peter Pan in a musical. And... He is super, super awesome. Right next to him is our adopted son from Latvia. Um, no, not really. He's ours, uh, I promise. Um, and his name is Johnny. We like to call him John Blonde Jovi. Um, and his hair really is that color. It's just what happens when mixed people procreate. Um, it's just, you just never know. It's like slots. You're like, 
a blonde. All right, way to go. Uh, on the other end, we have Aaron Ray Owens, and he is amazing, and he is strong, and he is dependable, and he's faithful, and he loves playing soccer. Right next to him is Judah Dudes. He is a man's man. Uh, he is just just thunder, and I like to call Johnny and Judah thunder and lightning. They're just a great combination. Uh, and right there in the middle, the one that holds all things together by her cheeks uh, is Ella Rose. And Ella also is known as Ninja Sissy Mama, or if she's having a special day, Spicy Mama, because uh, she is super, super spicy. I'm going to talk more about her. We also have another little angel named Aria Joy who is with the Lord, and she is a redhead. And uh, so, yes, we have the whole color spectrum of hair within our family. I'm going to talk more about her in a little bit. Um, But uh, I'm excited to jump in, in this journey, in this story that you all have been on so far this year, uh, in, in the last few weeks. Long story short, and seeing how the story and the thread of God's story has been connected, not just from beginning to a time gone by, but today. You are a part of the story of God. Do you know that? Do you know that? Look at somebody next to you and say, you are a part of the story of God. See, you didn't even know it. See, you you can walk out of seeing Captain Marvel or Avengers, soon to be Endgame, like, man, uh, anybody like not get tickets? You like kind of got left out. God bless you. We're praying for you. Uh, but, you, but you go and you see these movies or you, maybe you're reading a book and you hear this amazing story and you're seeing this amazing story unfold and there's a part of you that, man, I wish I could be in that. I wish I could step into that story. And the beautiful thing about the story of God is you are in it. But so when we read about these heroes and we read about this journey of, of deliverance and restoration, that's our story. And so that's why we wanted to look at this and see the story of God unfolding before us. We've been in the Old Testament up to this point and looking at creation, fall, redemption, I mean the exodus coming along the way. And I just also just want to, while I have this moment, just want to give a shout out just to all the amazing communicators that have been speaking over the last several, three months. Uh, Not just those. I'm I'm so thankful to have, to be a part of an incredible spiritual family in every nation that has just loved on us. And Pastor Brian Taylor has come in to preach. Pastor A. Someone, y'all can come on, clap for these brothers. Pastor Brian Taylor, Dr. Steve Robinson. I mean, just Justin Gray. I'm trying to get Justin Gray to come move here. Like, come on, Justin. Uh, and, and, of course, David and Tony who've come and brought the word. Um, I'm excited about this. So um, this morning, we're going to jump right in here, and we're going to talk about the comeback. This is a comeback story that we're a part of. God has a comeback for you. It doesn't matter what space or place you find yourself in today, wherever you are, when we come into Christ, we come into a comeback. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're here with us today. Lord, I thank you that in you there are no dead ends. In you, no matter how dire the situation seems, no matter how much, how much out of left field it came and knocked us flat on our tail, 
you have a plan. You have a purpose. You have a way to bring us exactly where you want us to be. Father, I'm asking that you'd help me this morning to communicate your truth. Lord, you would help me to communicate your story and our place in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Caleb. On a rainy day in the 1750s, an Englishman by the name of Jonas Hanway decided to do something that no respectable Englishman had done before. He walked down the streets of London, and in the midst of the rain, he pulled out a portable roof. We call it an umbrella. Now, it wasn't something that was a new invention, but typically these had only been suitable as an accessory for women because real men just get wet. And for 30 years, he would walk around the streets of London as one of the most ridiculed Englishmen because of this until people realized there's kind of something to this thing. Today, there is actually a plaque at Westminster Abbey to Mr. Jonas Hanway. (laughs) It's amazing. I think we can all agree that we're kind of thankful for the usefulness of an umbrella, right? There's something about an umbrella, especially is in this Indiana weather that could turn from rain to sleet to hail, you know, that an umbrella is appreciated. It protects us from the elements. It protects us from the things that are outside of it. And if you would follow me, I, I believe that the grace of God and the will of God acts as an umbrella in our lives. That when we come under the covering. Of God. When we come under the umbrella of God, there is blessing, there is provision. When we come under the authority of God, there is coverage from the outer elements. In the same token, when we step out of that umbrella, we put ourselves in precarious situations that expose ourselves. Now, I also want to draw a distinction this morning. There's a difference between punishment and consequences, okay? When you repent of your sin, when you surrender your life to Jesus, that sin is forgiven and forgotten, and that penalty has been paid for by the blood of Jesus 2,000 years ago. And yet, we still have to deal with the consequences of stepping outside of the covering of God. What does that mean? You can be saved and cheat on your taxes, and when you cheat on your taxes, you've stepped out from under the covering. You can be saved, and yet when you walk in drunkenness, or you make poor decisions, or you have moral failures, when you're doing that, you're stepping outside of the covering that was made provisional for you. This isn't to scare people. This is just to understand that, and it's not to to be a threat, like, don't do this or you're going to go to hell. A lot of times we we kind of take this heavy-handed approach, but there's a loving understanding that there are benefits to being in right relationship and closeness to God. Do you understand that if somebody is holding up an umbrella and you come up under it, you're going to get real close. For some of those, that was your tactic. Like, yes. Hi, Kelly. It's raining. I'll take care of you. (laughs) There's there's an intimacy. There's a closeness when you come under 
that coverage. Why am I talking about umbrellas this morning? Because particularly in the passages we're going to look, out, look at here, is we see in Second Chronicles that the people of God had been stepping outside of the covering of the God of Israel. They had been ignoring the cries of, of the prophets that God had sent to call them to come near and to return and to come close and to come under the covering that he had made provisional for them. And as a result, they exposed themselves in a very detrimental way. And yet, in the midst of that, God still had a plan. So this morning, if you would, turn with me to 2 Chronicles. We're going to begin... In verse 15, it says, The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. The NIV, instead of persistently, it says, He sent again and again and again and again and again and again prophets and messengers because he had compassion on his people. I don't know about you guys. I know for my own life, there's been so many times where it wasn't, you know, as we make mistakes or we do things, sometimes it's because we don't know. Sometimes it's, we can't blame it for ignorance. We just didn't listen. God sent messengers time and time again throughout your life to give warning, and yet sometimes we still don't listen. It says in verse, uh, verse 16, but they kept mocking the messengers of God despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. Verse 17, therefore, he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans. This is also the Babylonians who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and, in, and had no compassion on young man, virgin, old man, or aged. He gave them all into his hand. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these were brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword. They became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia. Heavenly Father, help us to hear and receive your word. Here, King Nebuchadnezzar really had a strategy to completely and utterly destroy the people of God. It was this scorched earth strategy that took place in about 500, 586 B.C., we had come and not just, just, not just take the people captive, but destroy everything. Destroy the temple. Destroy the very artifacts and the things that had, and when you think, look at the Old Testament and what led up to this, particularly when you look at um, the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus and you see the detail that went into the way in which we worship and how we encounter God. And then you look at David and Solomon in the process of building and establishing this temple and all of the resources that went in into it. And with one fail swoop, King Nebuchadnezzar comes in and destroys it all and burns it and takes them into captivity. Now there were some people that were taken into captivity because of their own doing. There had been many unrighteous leaders who had turned their backs on God. There were many 
who were taking them to captivity, and they didn't do anything. They were just by association. I know that all of us, in one way or another, will find ourselves throughout our lives in situations, some because of our own doing and some because of others around us, and quite frankly, ultimately, because of sin. All of us, no matter how great or not great you think your upbringing is, have been marred by the stain of sin because of Adam and Eve in the fall. I know you talked about that several weeks ago. But this morning, as we talk about the comeback, the first thing that I want to say is that God has a plan for the comeback. Say that to the person next to you. God has a plan for the comeback. You know, I don't know about you guys. I really wish that if I wanted to know anything, like if I really wanted to understand the will of God, like what I'm supposed to do with my life. I mean, especially any, how many single people we have out there? I know we got some. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Okay. How many of you wish, you know, if, if, you, if you would like to find a mate, you know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to put it on everybody. How many of you wish you could just pull out your phone, put it in the GPS, find my mate, and all of a sudden it would be like, oh, he was right here all the time. Or you're like, oh, he's in Denver. Bye, y'all. Like, you just wish you could see it, right? Or, you know, if you're like, put in the GPS, Lord, what do you want me to be when I grow up? Man, why am I getting a liberal arts degree? You know, I could have saved $100,000. I didn't know you wanted me to paint all this time, Jesus. No. But I wish we could put in our destination and all of a sudden it would show us like on the Apple Maps app or, app or Google Maps, just from beginning to end, boom, this is the directions. Turn left here, turn, and like have Siri tell us the whole way, right? Siri is just like the Holy Ghost. Turn left. Hmm. Like, I, I wish it worked that way. But, but so often, we kind of just get like step one and two of 100 billion. And God is calling us to trust him, and at times we have these roadblocks or accidents and things that happen that seem to derail us, and yet we can be secure in the fact that when we are in Christ, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, he'll get us where we need to be. There's this feature on, on Google Maps where if, if a route gets blocked, it'll say rerouting. Some of you in here this morning, you're here because God wants to give you a rerouting word. You, you, you've come into some rough situations, and God wants you to know you're going to make it. You're going to make it. This is not the end. So here we see that the people of God have been ransacked, utter desolation, and taken into captivity and, tech, and taken into exile. But God had a plan. Part of his plan involved a man by the name of Daniel. Daniel was an incredible, reputable young man. He and several of his friends, he had three friends that we speak about specifically, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had been incredible, uh, not just reputable men by Christian standards or by Hebrew standards. They loved God. They honored God. But they were seen and found to be excellent compared to any of those in Babylon. 
And God had brought promotion to them. And he had elevated Daniel to a prominent place of political power in a very miraculous way. We see in the book of Daniel that there was a a situation where Nebuchadnezzar had had a dream. And he was going to his wise men to interpret this dream. And none of them could give him a response. And now, just to give you like a picture of Nebuchadnezzar's personality, he was kind of like the queen of hearts. It's like, if you don't do what he says, it's like off with their head. Like he literally says like, hey, if you can't interpret my dream, if you can interpret my dream, riches, wealth, and all of this is yours. If you can't, I'll chop you up. Yeah. So somebody goes, hey, uh, there's this guy named Daniel. Now, that might be a time where you don't want your name recommended, right? <laughs> like, the stakes are high, folks. But it says, like, I could tell that Daniel was a little bit, like, he was like, oh, I can't mess up on this word. Like, if you've ever, like, been around a prophetic setting, one of the things, especially, like, I, I love speaking the truth and speaking blessing over people. But one of the caveats is, like, I sense what the Lord might be saying, perhaps, <laughs> is this, because we are human and we make mistakes sometimes, right? Uh, And uh, I could see, it says Daniel, before he interpreted this dream, he ran to his friends. He was like, hey, y'all got to pray because I can't mess up on this word. But he interprets the dream. And when he interprets the dream, not only is he then elevated to almost the second in command under Nebuchadnezzar, but he is placed as a chief over all the wise men. And this specific piece of it, it's just a little caveat, but it, it stood out to me for this fact. Is it says that here we're talking about this Babylonian empire, which be east of Jerusalem. And it says that he was now placed over, chief over all of the wise men. And it made me start thinking about here in Daniel 2, we see... Daniel helping to save these wise men and preserve their lives. And then in Matthew 2, we see wise men coming and aiding and saving the life of Jesus. What do I mean by that? Well, hundreds of years later, we see this encounter where it says, wise men from the east would come and they would offer gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Right? Y'all with me? Even the priesters should know that one. You know, right? You, you came for Christmas. You're like, oh, I know that one. I know the wise men. Well, during that time, there was one that was about as crazy as Nebuchadnezzar named Herod that decided he was going to put forth a decree to kill all children under the age of two because he was intimidated and heard rumor of a Messiah. And it was in a dream that God warned Mary and Joseph to flee to Egypt. Now, if you were a mid to lower income carpenter who just made a travel to Bethlehem to pay taxes, do you think you would have money for an international trip out of nowhere? And yet, God had provision. Gold works in any economy, y'all. They would have enough to be able to go to, to and back from Egypt, And I know some of you might think, man, that's a little, that's a bit of a stretch. But I just think to myself, if God, if a thousand days or a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years, and we're talking about a God who, who is prophesied throughout all of the Old Testament of the great Messiah who would come. Imagine what God would do right now in your life, in the midst of your situation that he's setting up for many years in the future. 
what if instead of seeing that in-between job that you're in right now as a detour, you were able to see it as a divine assignment? What if rather than grumbling and complaining about having to serve in city kids, you had a vision that that crazy kid that won't sit down would be the future governor of our state, would be a righteous leader, would be a deliverer. God has a plan that is far beyond our vision. I don't know how long Daniel thought he was going to be captive. We don't know if at the time that he knew it was going to be 70 years that they would be in exile. But we do know that in the midst of it, he had a posture of his heart that said, God, I'm yours. He had chosen to step under the umbrella, the covering of Yahweh, and say, in whatever place I find myself in, I will always be found in you. I pray that that is our prayer. In whatever situation, in whatever pain, in whatever brokenness, in whatever detour, in whatever seeming dead-end road that you find yourself in, in whatever place of brokenness and abuse, that it doesn't, we don't ignore those things and we don't discredit those things, but that we understand that in the midst of it, when we are in Christ, there is hope. There is hope. God has a plan for the comeback. We might not understand it. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But if we can trust him, he will take us exactly where he's calling us to go. God does not only have a plan, but he has a purpose for the comeback. See, some friends of his, uh, friends of Daniel's, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not only had Daniel been promoted, but they got promoted. See, Daniel got the word. He got the interpretation of the dream. Nebuchadnezzar says, man, you are, you got something. There's something about you. You just oversee my squad, and then you can elevate whoever you want with you. So Daniel goes back, and he says, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're all moving up. <laughs> right? It was a party. They're like, yes, promotion. Next chapter. Nebuchadnezzar, he's feeling himself. He's like, man, I'm pretty awesome. I should have a statue of myself. So they erect a statue of, of Nebuchadnezzar, and he even takes it a step further, kind of by like the, some instigation from some of the little cronies who didn't really like the Israelites. He's like, you know what? You should make a decree that when the music, when the beat drops, anybody who doesn't fall on their knees and worship you should be chopped into pieces, or thrown in the fiery furnace. So Nebuchadnezzar, drunk with his own arrogance, goes, you know what? That is a good idea. So sure enough, this situation happens. Three men decide to not bow down. Who was it? The ones he just promoted. I, when I read this story, I just think to myself, like when they were standing up, did they just look at Nebuchadnezzar and be like, hey, man, we go way back, like last chapter. <laughs> remember? Remember our boy, Daniel? You just, we, just got, we just got these offices. Like, all of a sudden now, here it is, Nebuchadnezzar, he is burning with rage, and he throws them into the fiery furnace. Not only does he throw them into the fiery furnace, but he turns it up hotter than it had ever been before. 
But God has a purpose to the comeback. See, God didn't just deliver them. He showed up and he showed out. Daniel 3, 27 says, They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. So he turned the fire up so hot, he put three men in the furnace, but when they looked in, there was four. God stepped into the fire and when they came out, they didn't even smell like smoke. You see, God, he doesn't just bring a comeback. He brings one of those 3.3 seconds left at the end of the fourth quarter of the final four. And you hit all three of your free throws to seal the game. God's purpose is that he would be glorified in us. From the very beginning of creation, God created us. He made us in his image that wherever we went, his glory would go. That his glory would be spread. God is not just looking to put you on the conveyor belt of his wheel so you can just, hey, everybody, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'll pray for you. Praise the Lord. It's not just conveyor belt or even just bleachers to watch him work where we just cheer Jesus on. God desires to work in and through you so that in your life, in the light that he's placed on the inside of you, in Matthew 5, it says, so let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works and give praise to your Father in heaven. God doesn't just show up. He shows out. Thank you for the one hand clap. I appreciate it in the front. He, he helped me come into this world. So, so. That's important for you to know. Like God, he wants to reveal himself in you. He wants to make himself known in the city of Indianapolis through your life, not just through your pastor's life. He wants to restore and redeem your neighborhood. We've been, uh, our son has been in a musical, and it's at, over at Howe, Thomas Howe High School. And so I've been spending a lot of time during Tech Week driving through down, down Washington Street, one of the, the first uh, house that we lived in when we moved back to Indianapolis, my family moved back to Indianapolis, was on Washington Street. And so it's been interesting just walking through Irvington. And as I'm walking through the streets and just seeing the people, and it's often, I, I think about this whenever I'm walking through Indianapolis, is, you know, it's going to take a lot more than just the pastors in the city to change the city. That's why we talk about City of Lights. It's because if the city is going to be filled with the light of Jesus, it's going to be because a people in a city, not just the pastors, a people in the city are filled with the light of God and shining brightly. And many times he will show out even in the ways that we do not expect it. One of the ways he showed out in my life, and honestly, I just, I'm constantly amazed by it. So this past week, April 2nd, we celebrated our daughter, Ella Rose, her third birthday, not fifth, two, life, life's going too fast. Her third birthday, she's three going on 30. Like, she is sassy. I love it. But what made it even just oh so special is that in 2011, we had our first daughter, Ella Rose. I'm sorry, Aria Joy. Thank you, wife. Thank you, my love. Aria Joy, my little red-headed princess. She's my first girl. 
She just rocked my world, y'all. When I tell you, when we had her, I was just wrecked. I'm like, God, you have, like, done something in my heart. I don't know what I'm going to do anymore. I just know that if anybody tries to harm her, I will stab them in the throat. I'm just saying I will go to jail. I, I, I bought the movie Taken just so I know, like, this is what I will do. I am now capable of things that I was not capable of before. Well, fast forward six months, out of nowhere, she passes away in her sleep. Six months old due to SIDS. Completely sideswipe. I didn't even have a chance to fight anybody. Took the wind out of my sails. One of the hardest things, not the hardest thing, that my wife and I have ever had to walk through. And it wasn't just like kind spiritual anecdotes that got us through. It was being reminded that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That though I, I don't see, I didn't see this detour coming. I didn't see this semi turning over in our road. I didn't see, I, I couldn't even see what all was going to happen, but I just kept trusting, you are good, you're good. Oh, and you're never going to let, you're never going to let me down. Now, we would have another boy, Judah. And then after we had Judah, I was like, okay, Lord, if you want to bless with the girl, that'd be really great. I don't know if I can put my order in. But we had John Blonde Jovi. <laughs> right? And we were like, hey! And, and, and if you know Johnny, like, Johnny is the kid we went to a Mexican restaurant one time, and the waitress was looking at Ella, and she was like, oh, your cheeks, oh, you're so cute. And she walked away, and Johnny goes, hey, come back. I'm awesome. <laughs> Y'all, that's real. Direct quote, come back. I'm awesome. All right, bruh. Confidence on 11, like, next level. So we had four boys, and I was like, you know, I'm praying. I'm like, Jesus, I really don't want a whole, like, basketball team. I got a good recipe for boys for whatever reason. Uh, if we have another one, Lord, we would just, we would just love, love to have a little girl. It would be great. You know, but I, I wasn't trying to, like, go for, like, triplets, like three girls or, like, go. We actually had somebody prophesy and pray over us, and Kelly and I were praying. They're like, Lord, I just pray for a double portion of favor, two girls. And I opened up an eye. I was like, Lord, I'll take half off that prophecy. Um, <laughs> I don't know how this works, but uh, <laughs> one will do full. Um, but God blessed us to be pregnant with another little girl. And not only did he be, bless us to be pregnant with Ella Rose, but she was born on her sister's birthday. Hey, y'all can clap for that. We didn't know the story that God was working out. Yeah. See, he didn't, he didn't cause our daughter to pass away. 
But I thank God that no matter what happens, he will work out all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So no matter where you find yourself today, when you come into the covering, when you come under the umbrella, when you come into the grace of God, he immediately will reroute you to him. He immediately reroutes you to restoration. He immediately reroutes you to be redeemed and restored. And he just decides to show out sometimes. God has a purpose for the comeback, and the purpose is his glory. Finally, God has a priority to the comeback. He has a priority. I want to ask the worship team to go ahead and come up. See, God is faithful. And though those, the remnant that was taken into Babylonian captivity, they were not aware of what the redemption story would look like. God did know. What we would see happen historically, we see this told in 2 Chronicles 36, beginning in verse 22. It says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all the kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. However, it is among you of all his people. May the Lord, <clears throat> may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. So what happens? Essentially, Persia rises up and does to Babylon what Babylon did to the people of Israel. Persia comes and lays waste to the Babylonians. And God uses an unrighteous king, leader, to not only send them back to the place where they were called to be, but the first thing he does is make a declaration that the temple would be rebuilt, that the altars would be rebuilt, and that they would be released to go back and worship. One, it's an encouraging thing to know that it doesn't, you know, we're called according to Proverbs to pray for our leaders. But we should also have hope that God uses the righteous and unrighteous alike. And he will use whoever he can use to accomplish his purposes in the earth. You know, I often think can you imagine how Lucifer was feeling during Passion Week? Like Satan must have been like, I mean, on cloud nine, thinking manipulated the masses, check. Corrupted leadership, check. Public humiliation of the Son of God in front of all of his followers, check. Watching in glee and laughter as Jesus was beaten and beaten and bruised. I can imagine he, he'd get all the fallen angels together and be like, come on, boys, this is our Super Bowl. Y'all don't know what the Super Bowl is yet, but it's coming. <laughs> But gathering them and 
excited. And, oh my gosh. When Jesus is hung embarrassingly and mocking him as the king of the Jews with the crown of thorns on his head. His blood dripping down his face, his arms stretched wide as he would be suffocated. And yet in this moment, all of a sudden, the enemy's celebration got sidetracked because he heard the words, it is finished. Yeah. Wait, wait, what? Yeah, say it. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. Like when you say it is finished, you mean like it is finished, like sorry, Lucifer, you won. Like, ah, oh, you got me this time, devil. Or like, what do you mean? What, what do you mean by it is finished? Stop playing with me. What he didn't realize at the time is that God used him to accomplish the ultimate purposes of God. I'm telling you this morning, if the God of all creation can use Satan to accomplish his purposes, he can use you. If the God of all creation can use the most heinous crime in all of history to see that his purposes would be accomplished, to see that all creation would be reconciled unto himself, he can use your situation right now. God has a plan for the comeback. God has a purpose that he would be glorified. And he has a priority that we would return and be reconciled with him. This morning, I'm not going to give you five more keys to a comeback. I want to give you one. I want to call you to the very thing and the very opportunity that the children of God were given to return, to rebuild the altar and place yourself on it. God was calling his people to return to worship, to return to his covering, to return to their first love. I know I'm not just talking to those who are just far from God. This is not just a message for those who don't know who God is, and this isn't just a salvation message. This is for the person in here that you have been a believer, and you have walked with the Lord, and you have trusted the Lord with most of your life. And yet there's been still a part of you. It's like, Lord, I come under you, but don't take my finances. Lord, I trust you, but don't take that relationship from me. God, I trust you, but I've gone to school for 10 years for this career. Why would you ask me to give it up now? God, I trust you, but I can never forgive them for what they've done. Will you return this morning? Will you come and submit all of your life will you come and build your life on the foundation of Jesus and allow him to reroute you now I know that there's some of you this morning that you have not known this love and this king maybe you grew up in church at one point and you experienced some feelings of hope and, and maybe you even had a glimpse of his love 
but because it was surrounded and dressed in so much religiosity and dogma and things that you just didn't really get. You just, it left a bad taste in your mouth and you've left and you have abandoned it. And yet you're here this morning because in God's plan, he knew you'd be right here so that you could hear from his heart and through my mouth, come back. God is not looking at you with angry eyes. He's not calling you to come back so that he can wag his finger at you and rub your nose in the crap that you've caught, that you've caused and the consequences. He calls you back with open arms. He says, I love you. I want to restore you. I want to surround you. I want to reroute that. Because that situation right there, I'll use it for my glory. But will you come home? Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.